TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Stories of that game and what happened in the clubhouse is just fantastic. There's no game that can bleep you like this one. <laughs> it's Roycey on baseball. Let's go. Manny Hill and Ricey, Ricey on baseball. Manny, I believe that intro when we're talking about the stories about that game is the 1986 Game 6 Red Sox-Mets. Oh, okay. And uh, the Mets are in town. Uh, one of the great underachieving teams of uh, the, the season here with okay. their starting rotation. is uh, They got some of the best arms in the world in that rotation, and they have figured out a way not to win. Uh, uh, Pete Alonzo, the uh, home run derby champion on that club. But I, I in 86, uh, I actually went out to New York and hung out uh, for a Mets homestand for about four days because they were the hot story. Yeah. And uh, it was an interesting clubhouse, to say the uh, <laughs> least. Davey Johnson, one of the most smug guys that ever lived. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, Daryl and Dwight and uh, what a... What a ball club that was, man! They were fantastic. They were uh, they were really good, and they ended up winning the World Series, of course. Yeah. But it was an interesting, you know. We we kind of think that it's always been a Yankees town, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't. Not until the mid nineties, when I mean, the Yankees have had their following, and certainly in the seventies they were going to World Series. But in the middle of the eighties. Uh, it was Mets town. They yeah. were, they were, they loved the Mets. That whole Daryl Dwight era there was. Uh, well, the Yankees, the Yankees were pretty bad in like the late eighties and into the yeah, yeah. early nineties well, before go from Buck the World became Series. the manager. Right? They didn't go over World Series from seventy eight to ninety six. Well, right? they went. Didn't they go in eighty one? Oh, the oh yeah, yeah. The Dodgers, the Dodgers beat them four straight, and but then they of, but then they tailed off. The Dodgers that, right? beat them. The, they won the first two against the Dodgers, and then lost the last four. That was mm-hmm. the first World Series I covered. It was great, mm-hmm. and uh, they because uh, the Yankees, you know, were going to roll over them. It looked like it was going to be easy. And was that they, the year the the split season? Yes, yeah, yeah. it was split goofy split season. Yeah. Uh, where uh, Cincinnati had the, I think Cincinnati had the best record in baseball and didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> as I, if I'm not mistaken. I right. Think it was, yeah, yeah. Was it Cincinnati? Was it, I it think was, it was Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. had the best. It was the dumbest thing of all time. Well, the Twins. That was a, that strike helped the Twins. Mm-hmm. They were horrible. <laughs> they weren't going to win fifty. And then the second, you know, once they started up again, they ended up like winning. At one point, they'd won like half their games, like entering September, mm-hmm. and they remember sending out. They have received permission to print playoff tickets. <laughs> I said, "This team makes the playoffs," and said, they were awful. <laughs> and you know what? They, I think their attendance, and they missed how many games? I can't remember. Two months almost, uh-huh. but their attendance was four hundred some thousand, and they weren't going to make six hundred thousand. Mm. They, it was awful. Wow. And uh, and they, they ended up – nobody – you look back, you can't appreciate historically how bad those teams were. Mm-hmm. 1980, Castino led the team with 13 homers, I think 64 RBIs, oh. and – Hitting three, he won the triple crown with the team in three hundred one or something like that with thirteen overs. And that they was were horrible. In eighty one, would that have been the last year at the Met? Yes, because the dome, oh, dome opened yes. in eighty two, right? Yeah, 
One of my favorite moments, Calvin, uh, you know, they ended up the last game ever at the Dome. I mean, at the Met, I think mm-hmm. it was 13,000 or something. And Calvin was down in the lunchroom having a drink afterwards. You know, the game ended and the crowd, they had a little ceremony that Calvin wasn't even going to come out for where they dug up home plate or something. And the crowd, it was a bunch of college kids who were drunk, you know. There was like 8,000 of them there, and they started chanting Calvin, Calvin, Calvin. And Calvin comes waddling out there and basically gives up everybody hell for not supporting the team more so that they could have so that they could have stayed at Met Stadium cuz I don't want to go downtown but I had to basically what a what a PR guy he was he was uh, oh it's amazing he was unbelievable but uh anyway the Mets are in town and uh the Mets uh you know have have just really underachieved and and, but I, I enjoyed, of course, I've always said, you know, as good as the uh, 87 to 91 were here, a 91 series, the greatest ever. One of the greatest, maybe the greatest event I ever covered was the 86 World Series. Yeah. It was fantastic. So they, you know, the Mets pretty much, they, they kind of owned New York then for that. Oh, sure. Mid-80s In into 80s, the, yeah. until the until the Yankees got when good When they again. got Doc and Dwight. I, yeah. you know, one of my favorite, I mean, Dwight was unbelievable. Yeah. Dwight was a Hall of Famer. He was, you know, through 90. Six before it was fashionable and the greatest curveball ever, and he was twenty years old, and that's the great story <laughs> that I've told a hundred times. Jim Fry is managing the Cubs, mm-hmm. the witty, smartass Jim Fry, who thought all reporters were idiots, <laughs> and some guy comes in and you know. Gooden strikes out 15, gives him two hits, just cruises through the Cubbies. Yeah. I think it was at Shea, and somebody says, what, uh, you know, Gooden, they're talking about Gooden, and then somebody says, and how about his poise? <laughs> and and Fry says, oh, that's what you like about him, his poise. Huh? <laughs> you like his poise. Huh? You don't. That 97-mile-an-hour fastball, you don't like that, huh? <laughs> you don't like that You don't like that curveball that goes from your chin to your knees. You don't like that, huh? You, you like, like his poise. <laughs> and Mark Wicker and I, uh, you know, we're buddies, and we always talk. You know, when we're watching some great performance, we'll say, and he's got poise, too. <laughs> Look at him. You know, like when Tiger was, you know, when Tiger was winning – U.S. Open by 50. Boy, he's got poise, doesn't he? He hits forget about, the ball. Forget he about hits that 350-yard drive. <laughs> yeah, you know, he hits the ball the 30 yards further than anybody. He putts better than anybody, and he chips better than anybody, but he's got poise. <laughs> that's, that's, I wish I would have paid big money to be there to hear that, hear Fry say, Poise. Oh anyway, gosh. Anyway, weird. the uh, the Mets. Nice homestand here. You get the Mets at the start, and then you get the A's who are playing great. They just yeah. demolished the White Sox over the weekend. And uh, the, what is with the A's, Manny? Every year they're terrible, and then they get to Memorial Day and they win. I don't know. It's, it's whatever Billy Bean has been doing for the last what, 20 Melvin. years and Bob Melvin. And, you know, it doesn't, doesn't change managers. And you don't know who the hell any of these guys are <laughs> no, either. No. You know? You no. don't know who any of them are. No. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it's, and, then, uh, and then the Yankees uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So uh, 
It'll. Uh, our boys are going to. I mean, they got two boy, with the Mets, but our boys are going to get tested. Oh yeah, this tough. Oakland yeah. and the Yankees uh, coming nine in games and, here, and uh, you know, they have a home run hitting contest with the uh, Yankees uh, next week. We'll see if they can hold up against them. It would. Uh, you know what's an interesting thing? We'll have to talk about it more, but. Uh, Ah, uh, they're better at second base with rise than scope, don't you think? I was thinking that too. What are they going to do? Well, I, I mean, don't, I don't think scope has been pretty good, not great, but yeah. I don't know if you can pull the plug on him. But uh, I don't know if you can get anything for him either. So it'll be interesting. I think you're going to have to. The Rocco is going to have to be creative, and you know he's yeah. just going to have to. I mean, you can't. You can't pull a rise out of the lineup completely. No. I mean, he's, he's hitting no. so well right now, and, and he plays a pretty good in the infield. So yeah. you can't just not play him. And I think Rocco's just going to have to get creative. And you've got Marvin Gonzalez who can move around in different different places. And lineup construction is amazing, though. Yeah, Louis Arise hitting fourth about twice <laughs> on the whole road trip. All right, uh, we'll be back with TK doubleheader Tom Kelly and Tim Kirkjian next week. Buster Olney, best baseball talk. In the Twin Cities, Manny Hill and Ricey. Planning for a secure future requires sound investment advice. That's why I rely on my guy, Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, for guidance in planning and maintaining a long-term financial strategy. This is Ricey, and I've known Josh for many years. I trust Josh and recommend him because he listens and delivers the kind of service that you'll need to feel confident about your financial future. I encourage you to get to know him the same way I did many years ago. Call Josh Arnold at 952 952 and set up your 48-minute no-obligation consultation. Call 952-925-5608. You'll always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. Call Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, at 952-925-5608. Investment advisor services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a registered advisor in the state of Minnesota. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. Tom Kelly is uh, with us for his every other week uh, baseball conversation. Tom, are you sold on this Arise kid? I think so, Pat. Uh, you know me. I I like to see a couple years uh, <laughs> first, but uh, he he does look like the real deal uh, with his hitting and the way he plays the game. I, I think... Uh, uh, why I'm I'm leaning that way a little bit because he has hit well throughout his minor league career, and he seems to have picked up right from you know that spot and moved forward to the big leagues, and and he's uh, contributing on a pretty much a daily basis with the bat for sure, and uh, he can play a couple positions, and uh, so he makes him valuable type guy. He he hangs in there against. Uh, uh, the lefties, and uh, so I, I, I think he, I think he's going to be okay. I really, I, I like him a lot. There's no question. The way he uh, moves around in the batter's box and adjusts to uh, pitchers and the like uh, seems to be he's a thinking uh, hitter, right? He knows what he wants to do, whether it works or not. He knows what he wants to do. The way it looks. Well, he doesn't strike out much, and that's I think the one thing that grabs uh, our generation yes. a little bit more <laughs> that he gets the bat on the ball for the most part 
and uh, he gets it in play. And I, I think uh, people uh, like ourselves, we like to see the ball in play instead of the strikeout. So uh, he moves around, and I'm, I'm certainly not comparing him to Pete Rose, but some of his mannerisms in the in the uh, batter's box uh, reminds me of, of Pete and how he tracks the ball and, and moves his feet and things like that. So um, if he ends up uh, uh, hitting like Pete did, uh, <laughs> we'll have a hell of a player. But uh, he, he certainly uh, brings a lot of life and energy to the ballpark and the ball team, the fans, uh, I think, uh, for the most part, gravitate to that kind of guy. He uh, kind of sneaked up on all of us that weren't inside the organization because right. uh, so many other middle infielders have been getting the publicity. Now they're mostly younger guys except for Nick Gordon, but he kind of sneaked up on us. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Royce uh, Lewis has garnered, garnered most of the attention uh, for sure, as you pointed out. But uh, there's there was people, uh, I'm, I'm sure they, I know they saw him in spring training games a couple times. And uh, uh, I remember my last year down there, I remember him walking around. And from a distance, and for somebody that doesn't see very well like I do, (laughs) uh, you know, I I looked at the back of his shirt, and I I said, what is that? I said, it looks like all A's. Those R's look like A's. (laughs) And I said, how can someone, so I call him. I used to call him Triple uh, A, or <laughs> which isn't very nice because Triple A's, you know, is Triple A player. So we didn't, you know, he'd rather be a big league player. But uh, I know he had all. It looked like all A's on the back of his shirt. Uh, I've always been curious what happened to Louis Rivas when he first came up. I thought we had a ten-year second baseman there. One of the mysteries of Twins history. Um, I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> Uh, what comes to mind is is is, and I'm, I'm really it's not a good a comparison, but Delman Young was yes. one of those guys that looked like had the uh, the world by you know what, and uh, he he looked like he could have been a perennial three hundred type hitter, and and Louis was moving along in that direction. Uh, he had speed, he could hit the ball on the ground, he had line drives, and and. Uh, uh, usually got the bat on the ball, and he, uh, him and Guzman, I thought, were going to be uh, locked in there for many years to come, you know, and, and the Twins could finally settle on a, a second baseman and shortstop and, and uh, move forward from there. But uh, I don't know what happened to him. It reminds me of uh, uh, a little bit of the other shortstop we had uh, with Texas now. Uh, oh, Danny Santana, who's Danny, uh, you know, who's Danny now like ripping it up for Texas. Uh, uh, a, a terrific player for us, and yes, and he faded away as well. So I don't know what happened, but uh, again, uh, you know, a couple of years there uh, with uh, Guardy played pretty good, and then then it, it went away. I, I don't know what happened to him. I yeah. He was uh, because he could play second base too, which is what originally you were looking for, right? Yeah, second and 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 short looked like they were going to be, uh, you know, a tandem there. I'm not saying Whitaker and Trammell, <laughs> but I mean pretty damn good. You know, they play, both play defense and turn the double plays and and uh, bring life and speed to the ball club. 
Uh, Whitaker and Trammell, you brought him up. Okay, Trammell's in the Hall of Fame. How about the other guy? I didn't want to see him come up. I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, in fact, if I had my druthers, I, I'd rather pitch to Trammell than Whitaker, I'll tell you that, uh, right now. So uh, so I don't, you know, that's just me. But yep. uh, uh, boy, he was a stable guy in, in that lineup for the Tigers. There's no question he he could do a lot of things. He could walk. He could steal bases. He played second. He could throw uh, his relay throws and things like that. You. You had to be careful with him because he was dangerous. Uh, he was a he was a top notch type player, and uh, again, I don't know the numbers. You you would have a better idea, but uh, why he he doesn't get votes, I'm not sure. Uh, so uh, Byron Buxton, another fantastic play, another missed game or two. I don't know if he had a concussion or what he had, but uh, man, we. He, the collisions, they, I don't know how you prevent the collisions with this guy. Well, he plays so hard and fast. And fast, and that makes it worse, I guess, because <laughs> so, he's running so fast when he does these things. Now, watch the replay over and over uh, yesterday, and uh, he did hit his chin really hard on the ground. Huh. And uh, whether that jarred him or his neck or, or knocked him a little silly for a few minutes, I'm not sure. But, uh, again, uh, like you said, he, he does things and he does them fast. And, uh, it, you know, I'm sure it hurts a little bit more. So, uh, again, uh, I, I don't know. It's it, it just we've got to find a way or figure out a way to keep him on the field on a regular basis. And, and uh, I, I really think he's calmed down a little bit with the fence. Yes. But this play here, you know, he dove and, and – uh, some reason he couldn't protect his face and chin and head and and uh he ends up kissing the ground pretty hard boy it's a different uh, ball club what he's playing though isn't it oh it's for sure um he really you know and and don't miss uh, no disrespect to anybody else that goes out there they're they're pretty good outfielders but uh, i mean it really stands out when he's out there there's no question he's he's uh the best uh center fielder i've seen in a very very long time and and uh just so much speed to to reel in a lot of balls that would should you know usually fall in for hits uh he he ends up catching them and he's certainly going to save the ball i don't know how they figure that out that uh run save thing they have that stat yes uh, how many runs you save but uh, i'm sure his has got to be a big positive <laughs> well, uh, two years ago when he got a chance to play the whole season, he was the. They now have the platinum glove winner, the right. uh, the the guy who's the best in his league, and uh, he was the man. And it's it's yeah, hard. No question. It's hard to argue with that. So uh, there's no dispute. There's so, no conversation. <laughs> so our guy Kepler is to Trevor Bauer what Jim Tomey was to Rick Reed. Oh God. <laughs> That up. That's just another nightmare. Why you had? I got enough gray hair. And I'm trying to keep that. Uh, the the uh, it was almost. Uh, I don't want to get too dramatic, but it was like suicide. Gosh, he come up and geez, you just you you start squirming in your seat, and we're sitting there watching, and you you start squirming, you know. And please keep it away from. Please keep it away from. 
and and uh, he tries to throw that little cutter in. Oh, it didn't matter what he threw. He is one of them things that we can never explain about the game of baseball, why somebody has so much success over one pitcher or one pitcher and a hitter or whatever it is. And uh, uh, they, they just they see the ball better or they get good pitches or it's just one of them things that uh, is unexplainable. Of course, the thing with Tommy was the footage. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> they, they, they were... You know, there weren't no cheap. <laughs> well, Jimmy never hit many cheap no. ones anyway. When he hits them, they go pretty good. I, I mean, there's no, no. well, maybe he might jump and catch it. There's none of that. No. Up there in that second deck. You know, people uh, like to, uh, you know, go back to that year when uh, they traded for Reed and Tom jo- Todd Jones and it didn't work out. But Reed was pretty good for you the next year. Yeah, I, I, I liked him. Um, if you could find a way to erase Tommy in your mind, you know, <laughs> he was pretty good. I, he, he, started, he was one of those first guys that uh, started with that, that throw the ball in, to the lefties anyway, throw the ball on the inside and bring it back. Uh, you know how they do that on a sure. regular basis now. But uh, he could bring the ball back in and, and catch the corner pretty good. You know, he was one of those pitchers that got to that two-seam thing a little bit sooner than others. And uh, he had a pretty good knack of pitching. He was knowledgeable. He was a good teammate. And uh, you couldn't help but to root for the guy. And, uh, again, uh, I, I think he was a solid guy on a team. So, the, you know, I, I always enjoyed when he was pitching. I, I did. I, I thought he, he presented himself well and handled himself and the composure thing and all that stuff. And he had pitches to throw and could get you out. Uh, Angels, a lot of uh, publicity for that 13 to nothing uh, uh, combined no-hitter on the night they were honoring Tyler Skaggs. But this Trout, man, he is hot again. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, did he get have to leave the game the other yesterday? Or uh, he... Yes, he did. That's right, yeah. he did. But, man, uh, he's... Calf or something, I think I, that goes in my mind. Uh, uh, let's hope he's okay because he's a, just a ter- terrific talent and and uh, people pay to see him play. So, uh, you know, if I was going to the ballpark, I'd certainly want to see him out there. And, uh, uh, again, he's uh, one of the premier players in the game and plays all aspects of it. He doesn't run as much as he used to, but uh, he can still uh, still steal a base on occasion if he has to. And and uh, he, he's uh, just a, a complete package and, and uh, very enjoyable. But... Uh, I guess he's a team leader over there. There's no question about that. I thought maybe it was Albert Pujols, but uh, apparently uh, uh, he he does a lot of the talking for the group, and and uh, uh, that was you know you you couldn't write that in your, no. you know you, one of your columns. This is going to this is what's going to you can't. Ha- that's unbelievable <laughs> that that happened on that night. That was. Uh, uh, just a wonderful thing for that ball club and and those players and the fans uh, and certainly I'm sure his family Skaggs his family uh, uh, they had to be just elated with uh, the results of that game and what happened uh, it was quite a tribute I, I was talking to Plouffe about uh, uh, his relationship with Skaggs they were close they worked out together there at okay. Pepperdine but it is amazing, you know, the number of players that Southern California produces, and 
the you know big leaguers, Triple A prospects, the whole thing. These guys all know each other out there somehow in this big massive area. They're all you know they all worked out together or were in some kid tournaments together or something. It's amazing. They all know each other, even though there's hundreds of them. Correct. There's so many. Well, there's so many people. Yes, you, know, you right. just get in the, your car and drive. Try to drive somewhere. <laughs> you know, we had a saying back in the day. Uh, well, let's go here. This let's go there. We'll, let's go do this or do that. And and then you say to yourself, well, if we go do that, we got a chance of being late to the ballpark. <laughs> and if you you don't do anything, it seems like time stands still because you, you know it's a two hour time change and. And it seems like you're there forever, so you're always between a rock and a hard place going to Anaheim and out there on the West Coast. But uh, especially with the driving part, uh, you know, so many people in the traffic, you you figure there's got to be some players in that group. Hey, uh, Tom, I always felt, though, uh, whether whether the Twins were a good club or a bad club, yeah, they they play those sixty eight degree night games with no threat of rain in Anaheim, and it seemed like there was an extra step in everybody's, you know, bou- extra bounce in everybody's step uh, when they played there. It was a great place to play baseball. Yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, for the most part, uh, uh, we you know you enjoy going on that West Coast trip now. Uh, we don't want to go back and forth. Uh, no, no. Either, but, uh, you know, if you could crank out the three, uh, Seattle, Anaheim, and Oakland, if you could uh, crank them out at one time, it was pretty good. But when you had to go back and forth, man, it got a little bit much. But, again, uh, it's just a wonderful uh, atmosphere to play baseball, especially in Anaheim. And you guys, uh, when you were managing, did it twice, you know. there was uh, Yeah, well, two, two. you know, if you, like I said, Patrick, you just crank them at once. <laughs> you know. I remember that one year. Didn't we go to, uh, that's the year I got hollered at by Mr. McPhail. Uh, he dragged up a couple of the players up the office and started screaming at them, too. Uh, but uh, that was 91, was it? We had a, We left Florida. Uh, I think we went to the west. Did we go to the west coast? But yeah. then we had a. We played like three or four games in the west. Then came back because we they wanted to have the home opener. Oh yeah, I, remember, I looked opener. that one up. Yeah. Then we went uh, back west again. Then we went back east. <laughs> I mean, it was you know we were putting on all the miles. And I think we were eight wins and and fifteen losses. Manny can look it up, uh, but uh, I look it up. I remember, you know, we come back and uh, he Andy dragged a couple of the guys up there and let them have it, and he let me have it. And uh, um, you know, I said to him, I said, Andy, I said, Gosh, you got us flying all over the country. <laughs> I said we tamed, we changed time zones about four or five different times. And, 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 you know, do you want to have the home opener so that ruined the West Coast thing? I said, back and forth. I said, come on, give us a break here. And he, but he was hot. You know, he was mad. But uh, uh, he made his point. TK, I've got the schedule here of the ni- 1991. You yeah, guys go start, ahead. You guys started out with three in Oakland to start the season. Then you came home to play three against the Angels. I'm halfway right. Go ahead. And then, and then you had a six-game West Coast trip. You had three in Seattle, and then three out in Anaheim with the Angels again. 
Okay. To start out the season. Home. And then, then he came home against Oakland and and against Seattle and Boston. And then they went then to, we then went, went east, right? east. Then you went out. Uh, well, then you went to then you went to Milwaukee for four, okay. and then two two in Boston after that. So yeah, I remember changing the time. My guy, you know, in those days you had to change your watch. We had to keep changing the watch <laughs> every other week. It seemed like we were in a different time zone. Well, you were two and two and nine until you had traded for the big train, Carl Willis, and that turned the whole thing around. The train was uh, <laughs> wonderful. You heard Jack uh, this. Jack Morris talk about Carl. Uh, that you know, he did a nice job talking about him. I thought he he was exactly right, and and uh, I don't think uh, what was a playoff game or World Series game where he came in with the bases loaded, and uh, uh, I know I <laughs> I said to him, I said, Carl, this is a very good situation. Just do the best you can. And didn't he strike out like? <laughs> Two or three, <laughs> yeah, I and, think he... and uh, he was throwing that uh, that uh, a sinker. Well, let's call the sinker. <laughs> and uh, he's dipping and doing in the back of his hair, and <laughs> and, and the ball is dropping off the table. I'm going, holy Jesus! <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, Carl was. Uh, he could. He had that sinker going. He he was tough, and he he had the attitude he don't care give me the ball and i'll do the best i can and and i think basically that's what i told him i said this isn't very good (laughs) just do the best you can we'll get out of here (laughs) what a what a character he was too man he he was hilarious yeah he was had that country drawl (laughs) very always very quiet once in a while he'd get a little loud in the clubhouse or something but but uh, what a wonderful teammate he was! And uh, yeah, I walked in. Job. I walked in the clubhouse one day at uh, in Tiger Stadium there, and that's when uh, Tappany called. Hey, hey, come here, Ricey. He said, "Carl's over here tooting his own horn." He said he's <laughs> telling us how that he turned the whole thing around, Carl. And <laughs> and then and then uh, Tappany went like with the train whistle, toot toot. And we yeah. that's when we started calling him the big train, yeah, and he became yeah. the big he train. Was, uh, he was quite a character. You know, somebody you could count on, you know. Yeah. Uh, those, those guys are important to a ball club, the manager, and uh, uh, people you know you can count on. And, and uh, he was durable. Uh, maybe Manny can look up how many games he pitched uh, that year. I'm not sure. I don't remember. But, let's uh, uh, let's throw in one little ode to Taylor Rogers before we uh, sign oh, off for this week. Man, has he been good. Talk about somebody you can count on. And uh, has been reliable. Uh, as we talked the other day a little bit about uh, uh, coming in and giving everybody a good feeling that you're going to win the game, uh, especially when he's in there in the ninth inning. Uh, uh, it up. It really uplifts the players and the, on the field and on on the bench. And I'm sure the fans are starting to really gravitate to to. Uh, to Taylor and and what he can do uh, on the mound, and he's pretty efficient about it. I think the other day was what eight nine pitches, yep. and he got out of there and gets you off the field, and and so uh, it's it's really uh, it's an uplifting type feeling. I, I remember having that feeling with uh, guys like uh, uh, Reardon and Aguilera. And, and they're not going to be perfect every time. No. And, 
and I don't think Taylor is either, but uh, for the most part, they're going to get the job done, and, and that's what's important. And uh, that feeling you have when you're on the field or, or in the dugout that uh, this guy's going to get it done. You know, I'm, Guardy, I'm sure, felt that way with Nathan and, and, and Eddie G., and, and having those guys pitch at the end of the game, it, it really can bolster uh, the enthusiasm and, and confidence of a ball team. Hey, I think your encouragement to uh, Manny to bear down a little and write it down has helped out. He's been hot lately. Sometimes people just need a little boost, you know, a little, <laughs> little shot in the arm. A little, little motivation, back, TK. Whatever you, you, you want to call it, kick in the butt. Yep. Whatever it is, uh, I'm still waiting. I sent you an invoice. Manny, <laughs> should a uh, little retribution come my way, I'd appreciate it. I'll okay. get that check out to you, yeah, TK. I'm sure you will. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Tom. Talk to you in a couple of weeks, sir. All right. Have a good have a good week. All right. The great TK. Tom Kelly, and uh, he's uh, he's one of Manny's big boosters, but he'd like a little more effort. And for the record, uh, Carl Willis pitched in <laughs> 40 games in 1991 for our, for our uh, wonderful he was. <laughs> we'll be back. Tim Kirkchen is with us, ESPN and ESPN.com. What does it say about America that more people watch the home run derby than the all-star game, Tim? Yeah, that's not great. And I think I told you this, Pat. More people, at least last year, watched the celebrity softball game than watched any Sunday night baseball game on ESPN. I think that's true. And... That's not a damning statement of ESPN baseball. It's just this is what people want to watch today. <laughs> and the shame of the All-Star game was it was a really good game. We played it under three hours. Yes. We had we had pitchers challenging hitters. Whit Merrifield in the Roy, of the Royals was I'm in the American League dugout. He looked at me and said, no one wants to walk in this game. I mean, they're all yeah. up there trying to hit it. And pitchers are, thro- are pitching the contact. There was some defense. There weren't eight homers. It was like a real baseball game. <laughs> the best players were playing it. It was, it was just another reminder. When the game is played properly, it's still a great, great game. Yeah, and I was just, I, and I was contemplating that when I saw the ratings a day or two later. I said, what? What what do we want? What do we want? Because, uh, as you said, time of game, fine. But but it's the only all-star game where you play the actual game. You play right. baseball. And you don't play basketball in the NBA game. You don't play hockey in the hockey game. You don't play football in the football game. It's the only game. It's the only all-star game where you play the actual game. Right. But, Pat, it speaks again to what we've talked about several times, most People in this country want immediate gratification. They want action all the time. They want the red zone channel. And in the home run derby, there's a home run hit every five seconds. That's yes. what they want. <laughs> they don't want to wait around for a good defensive play to be made. And that's the problem with our society today, and that's how it affects baseball. A few years ago, a couple, three years ago, we made an attempt to make make the uh, home run derby a little less strenuous on these guys, but it looked pretty strenuous to the guys who made to the finals. A and B, are we throwing like a hundred grand to the guy who finishes second, or is he doing it for the thrill of the game? Yeah, he's doing it for free. There is no consolation prize <laughs> in the home run derby, and maybe that's good. Now, Jack Peterson, by the way, I was told later, like hits 
for like an hour at a time when he's every day of the year with, with the Dodgers. He goes into, he loves to hit indoors, not outdoors. I'm not sure what the rationale is there, but he never gets tired because he hits and he hits and he hits some more for like an hour at a time. Wow. The Dodger guys were saying, well, he never gets tired, so he'll be fine. But I think some other guys just ran out of steam, including Vlad Guerrero Jr., but <laughs> he hit 91 homers <laughs> and he lost. It's unbelievable to me. But even at age 20, he the way he was swinging the bat was just breathtaking to watch. He's got unbelievable power. And that Pete Alonso guy wanted to win that home run derby more than anyone I've ever seen. And I've seen every one of the derbies. He was committed to winning it. He trained for it and everything else. And he won it fair and square. But I think everyone's going to remember what Vlad Jr. did with 91 homers. And the actual drama between him and, and uh, Jock Peterson was real. It was genuine. And uh, it does make both of those guys celebrities who now that crowd that's not hardcore baseball fans are now curious about both those guys and every man Pete Alonzo they're curious about him too right and maybe that's great that it is great that's what baseball is all about let's recognize these guys let's show some personality all three of them did in that and whatever way it is to get more people interested in baseball count me in it does drive me nuts, however, that people say baseball doesn't promote their players like the NBA does. Well, LeBron's on the court with four other guys 75% of the time or more. And Mike Trout, no matter how much you publicize him, is going to get uh, 15% of the at-bats. You can't change that. You can't. And this is what I keep telling people. <laughs> LeBron touches it on every possession. <laughs> yes. He's the best player on the court every single night, and it never changes. And even when he has a bad game, you go home saying, how about that dunk he made in the third quarter? How about that three he made? <laughs> Mike Trout has a bad game. He goes over four and strikes out four times and catches a root- one routine fly ball. And people go home and say, what's the big deal? He's the best player the game has seen in a long, long time. He didn't do anything. That's how the game is built. So to ask our baseball players to be like basketball players, it's just not going to happen that way. Uh, is he uh, going to be okay here? He tweaked a uh, muscle, right? Trout? Yeah, he says this is not serious. And given how strong he is, um, I, I don't think this is going to be anything that's going to keep him out any length of time. And it can't now because they're back in the yes. best race. And he's swinging it better than maybe he ever has. I was going to say that. He's monstrous. This season's going to be monstrous. It's unbelievable what he's doing right now, especially in July. I think he's got eight homers in his last eight games. The way he's swinging is just unbelievable. And if I may, Pat, the whole terrible thing with Tyler yes, Skaggs. Man. Another reminder what a great leader what a great teammate Mike Trout is. So we talk about selling the game. He's got to market the game. The way you market the game is the way that he has presented himself and his team in the face of terrible tragedy and adversity. Mike Trout has been the leader in every second of that, not just on the field but off. So let's make sure we pay attention to that. Being a leader and being the face of a sport isn't just 
coming out and doing some goofy commercial. It's about being and acting like a real man and a genuine, sincere character when that really is needed. You know what uh, fascinates me? Uh, Southern California. I have Trevor Plouffe, a real good friend of his, I, uh, of Tyler's. I, I called uh, Trevor and did a piece on how it was affecting him. And what amazes me is Southern California produces it's it's the most massive population center from north of LA to San Diego and somehow all these baseball players know each other they work out together they were in showcases somehow they all know each other out there it's amazing they do and Aaron Boone has explained that to me he's in you know he's got houses in different places but he spent a lot of time in San Diego and he plays golf with and all his golf buddies are all former players yeah with his brother Bill Nevin all these guys and they all keep in close contact because they're working out together playing golf together hanging together it's great yeah and uh you know uh, Braun and Ploof and Mustakas and uh, a bunch of other guys worked out with Skaggs in this little dungeon in Pepperdine and became the best of friends that's the way it works that's how it goes all right, so our uh, Fighting Twinks uh, went to uh, Cleveland on, over the weekend, and the Indians were playing good, and they had their three good pitchers lined up, and the uh, Twins managed to uh, win two out of three, and Max Kepler continued to hit home runs off Trevor Bauer. And by the way, you're looking for promoting the game and making it more modern. You did see uh, Trevor Bauer's tweet on that, did you not? Yes. He's showing all five home runs Kepler hit off him and then right, showing him right. striking him out. <laughs> right. Well, you got to give it to, to Trevor Bauer. He does some things off the field that gets him in trouble, but he's pretty creative sometimes. <laughs> I, I was shocked, Pat, to see that there were two other cases in the expansion era where somebody hit five homers and five straight bats off of one pitcher. Frank Howard off of Bob Henley. And you know how strong Frank Howard yes. was. And Carlos Delgado after, off of Jorge Sosa. I was gonna, my first question was, when has anyone ever hit five homers <laughs> and five straight at bats? And not only did it happen with Kepler, but it happened two other times, granted, in the last 60 years. But that's still pretty amazing to me. Yeah, well, of course, one reason is, uh, you know, for 50 of those years, if you hit three in a row, you'd get hit, you get one in the ribs the next time, although at bats, or, uh, you know, we're talking about at bats here. But that's, uh, you know, I, 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 whoever gets Bauer, I think, is getting a hard-nosed guy. I love that guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a strange character, but Tito Francona has told me, look, he's not afraid and he competes no matter what. And I think they're going to trade him, Pat. Not because they want to, but he's going to make close to $20 million in arbitration next year, and they may not be in a position to handle that. And they've got that Shane Bieber who won the All-Star Game MVP. they got Clevenger back. They're getting Kluber back. Their pitching is still has a chance to be great, even without Bauer. But they had better get something back for him you know, immediate yeah. help for their major league team. Otherwise, they're making a mistake. If they're not going to get some sort of significant value back, they need to hang on to him and say, all right, we'll trade him in the offseason. We can really do some damage in October if, of course, they get there, if they keep Bauer. But yeah. financially, it doesn't make sense to keep him. So it'll really be interesting to see what they do here. Hey, is Kluber, they got another year of him or not? 
Yeah, they do. And it's, I, I hope for his sake he comes back healthy. And I hope for the Indians' sake that they do something here because it's been so long since they've won. But that was a great series for the Twins because I know I was there in Cleveland. People are already talking about this first game after the break. The Indians are rolling. You know, if we roll the, uh, you know, the Twins coming in here, we'll get it to three and a half or so. And that didn't happen. Uh, Taylor Rogers, man, he should have been an all-star candidate. That guy's been fantastic. He has great curveball that he's got. Yep. I'm still not sure we ever really show enough of our middle guys. He's closer to, I understand that, but you know, the, the Presleys of the world who Ryan Presley who made the all-star team, we should have more of those guys. Guys are coming in in high leverage situations, getting people out, strikeout rates. And Rogers is one of those guys who can do multiple jobs in the middle and at the end of the game. What's going on in Chicago that people are showing up for the Mighty Whiteys? Uh, they got, uh, I know they che- tickets are cheap, uh, but uh, they're showing up to watch their games. They're, what, the second highest attendance increase in the league, in the yeah, baseball. It's great, Pat. As you know, they have some good young players on that team. Eloy Jimenez guy is huge, and he can hit. Uh, Abreu, the first baseman, is still really good. Makata's yep. on the way. Kopech's coming. Giolito's not just a really good pitcher, but a smart kid, a good guy to build around. They have an interesting team. This is what we thought they would be, because I, I know I wrote this several times. Everyone told me that the haul they got back for sale and others was significant, and it's just a matter of time. So if they can somehow get to 500 at the end of this season and push it into next year, it's, it's going to be a team to watch the next few years. Well, they got all those Tommy Johns. They've had, uh, what, yep. Gonzalez, Rodon, uh, right. Kopech, uh, and there's another prospect that they had. And, uh, and, you know, you never know when those guys are coming back, but if they get some of those starting pitchers back, they'd be, their, their starting pitching ERA is like off the charts. That's their problem. It's too high. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, good to see. I, I would think also it is, uh, you know, you're in Chicago and you're not a diehard Cub fan, and you can go to a White Sox game for ten bucks and a Cubs game for 150. It might be a might be an easy decision to make. Yes, absolutely. And and then, but then they're the Cubs, Pat. And you know, I don't know if even 90 games is going to take to win that Central because they're all struggling so badly here and there. But Cubs had a really good weekend against yes. the Pirates, and and if the Cubs end up making the playoffs. I think they're going to point at this weekend against Pittsburgh, which, by the way, is a pain in the neck to play. And to beat them three in a row, especially the way they kind of did, uh, I think that was really an emphatic series for the Cubs over the Pirates. What happened to Kyle Schwarber? I love that guy. So do I. I still think he's going to hit 40 homers in a season. (laughs) But I just don't think he's going to become the left fielder that he needs to be. And I still just don't think he's going to make enough contact. I, if I were an American League team, I would go get him. But the Cubs have had probably many offers for him. But they see the same thing that you do, Pat, and that I do. This is going to happen someday, and it's going to be really fun to watch. It just hasn't happened to the level that I thought it would. Not right. yet. Jim, thanks for your time, and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks, sir. Okay, Pat. Take care. All right. Uh, the great Tim Kirchin, the TK double hitter. I hope you enjoyed it. 
If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now, more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses. So don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free 5-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com.